Now, if you've got your copy of God's Word, uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 12. As you can tell, this morning the table is set before us. And uh, if you've spent any time in this church or any church, and I never want to assume, if you haven't, this is the Lord's Supper, it's communion. And we have two elements before us here this morning, the bread and the cup. And in the most simplest manner, we recognize and understand that these elements are pointing to Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. However, these elements really bear the weight of profound and moving realities. And so this morning, in preparation for participating in the Lord's Supper, I want to, I want to draw our attention to some of the realities that are on display here by these elements. So, if you will look in your copy of God's Word, I'm going to be reading the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 12. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. There are four realities, profound realities that we find in this text that I want to draw to your attention so that I can lead us in, in, in participating and understanding these elements of the Lord's Supper. So to that end, let's begin. The first one is found in verse 1, and it's found in this phrase here that we read, for though you were angry with me. In chapter 11 of Isaiah, the chapter prior to this, uh, Isaiah is referencing uh, the shoot from Jesse or the root from Jesse. It's a, it's a phrase he uses at the very beginning of chapter 11 and again in verse 10. And what he's really picturing there and, and speaking about is the coming Messiah. Jesse was the father of David, and we know that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. So in chapter 11, Isaiah is referencing the Messiah and what he will accomplish and do. And then we come to chapter 12, and Isaiah begins to describe the things that God's people will say in response to the Messiah. So we come to this phrase, for though you were angry with me. And what we see here is that God's people realize that God was angry with them for their sin. In justice, they deserved and they understood that they deserved God's anger. Now, what exactly is God's anger or other language that's often used to describe that is God's wrath. In the most simplest, succinct definition, it is God's hatred towards sin. You see, our God is a holy and righteous God. Everything he does is right 
and good and perfect. As a matter of fact, he defines what is right and what is wrong. We as creatures are on this planet and we operate in, 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 in things and understand that some things are right and some things are wrong. God is certainly transcendent. He is beyond creation. He's also eminent. He's within creation. But he is the one who actually defines what is right and wrong. He is holy and righteous and everything he does is right and perfect and good. And it is right and perfect and good to be angry at sin. And so we see God in his holiness and righteousness exercising a righteous anger against sin. God is angry at our sin. Let me, let me try and illustrate that for you. Uh, turn there if you want, but back in Genesis chapter 6, we read in verse 5 this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And then if you jump down to verse 7, it says, so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. The flood, that was the introduction to the flood. The flood is an illustration of God's righteous anger against sin. He was right and good and perfect to blot out sinful humanity by a flood. Now, I can't mention the story of the flood without pointing out, and you can go read this later, verse eight. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You see, God's anger against sin is depicted before us in these elements. In just a few minutes, I'm going to take that loaf of bread, which we understand represents Christ's body, and I am going to break that bread. In a few minutes, John is going to take that cup, which we understand represents Christ's shed blood, broken body, Shed blood, violence. There is this physical harm done. It is the righteous anger of God against sin, and it is being depicted here in these elements. God is just, and his righteous anger will be meted out against sin. Now, I want you to keep in mind also you and I have a tendency to trivialize sin. We don't, we don't understand that it is offensive to a holy and righteous God. We may understand that something terrible like murder is, but not my sin. My sin's not that bad. We trivialize sin, and yet these elements portray for us God's righteous anger against sin in the broken body and the shed blood. So in a few moments, as you take these elements, remember 
righteous anger. Now, secondly, again, back to Isaiah chapter 12, we find a second reality in the next line from Isaiah. He says, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. So in some manner, God's people are identifying that the righteous anger they deserve, God's wrath, it turned away from them. So the question becomes, how? Well, again, that is identified. If you'll look in verse 2, we find this phrase, and it's repeated twice, God is my salvation. God is in some way has put forth that his just wrath, his righteous anger will be meted out against sin and his people can be forgiven. Well, this way is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, our substitute. Jesus takes our place and bears the righteous anger of God against sin that we have earned. This broken body that is represented in this element of the bread, that is Jesus's body. This shed blood that is represented in this cup, that is Jesus's shed blood. God's righteous anger against our sin is pointed at us. And then God provides a substitute that takes our place and bears the righteous anger due us for our sin. Now again, this is illustrated in the Old Testament also. Genesis chapter 22, there's a story of Abraham. Now, Abraham has been longing for an heir, a son, and he finally has one in his old age, Isaac. God, in Genesis chapter 22, commands Abraham to take his son Isaac and to sacrifice him. So Abraham takes Isaac and gathers up wood and gets fire and a knife and takes a few servants, and they travel three days to a particular location. And then once they've reached this location, Abraham leaves the servants, and he says, Isaac, come with me. And Isaac looks at his father and says, okay, dad, we've got the wood and you've got the fire, and we've got the knife, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham responds, the Lord will provide. Abraham and Isaac move to the top of the mountain. Abraham prepares the wood, and then he binds his son, And right before he takes the knife and sacrifices his son, the angel of the Lord says, stop. And he speaks and recognizes Abraham's obedience. And then lo and behold, caught by his horns in a thicket is a ram. Do you see the illustration there? Our substitute. We deserve the righteous anger of God against our sin. And yet our God is our salvation. He provides a substitute in Jesus Christ. So not only as you participate in these elements, are you to see God's righteous anger, but you're also to see our substitute. It is 
Jesus's body represented in that bread. And it is Jesus's blood represented in that, be- in, in, in that cup. Now also, I want to come back to our tendency to trivialize sin. When we trivialize our sin, when we don't recognize that what we have done deserves God's righteous anger, we trivialize our substitute. We probably don't think this that directly, but we even come to a place where we think, is Jesus really necessary? Yes, Christ is necessary. So, as you partake of these elements, remember righteous anger and remember our substitute. Now, the third reality is found in the next phrase. For though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Now, where is comfort found in this table? Christ, our substitute, has taken all of the righteous anger due us for our sin. And so we are able to say, like Paul pins in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been granted full and complete forgiveness for all our sins in Christ The scriptures even talk about a transaction that takes place. Christ's righteousness is credited to us. And our guilt, our sin is credited to Christ. That's why the scriptures can teach us that the judge, God, is able to declare us justified, paid in full. There's comfort there. We're instructed in Hebrews to boldly approach the throne of grace. Why? Because in Christ, we are justified and fully forgiven. And so we have access to God's throne. The New Testament also talks about in Christ, we have been adopted into the family of God. We are children of God. Do you see the comfort that is provided here? Now, let me illustrate this again. And again, I turn to Genesis, and I hope you see something here. All of the Old Testament points to Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned against God, and now they are awash in shame and guilt. And so they hide, and they attempt to cover themselves. Well, I propose that that attempt to cover themselves is an attempt to comfort themselves. And they use fig leaves. God, in his mercy and grace, initiates seeking out his rebellious and sinful creatures. And he comes to them in the garden and he finds them and he confronts them and he curses them. But then it's very interesting. At the end of chapter three, God does something. He covers them with garments of skin Now, it doesn't say it directly, but what's implied there is some animal was sacrificed so that God was able to take a garment of comfort and cover their shame. Do you see what God is pointing to in Genesis chapter 3? He's pointing to the true covering, 
that comforts completely, and that is Christ. It all points to Christ. Our God comforts us, and these elements here are full of comfort. So in a few minutes, as you partake of the Lord's Supper, remember righteous anger. Remember our substitute. Recall the comfort that he has provided here. And then lastly, we find in verse two, the last reality I want to show you. And it's that of praise. Look at what he says. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. God is our salvation. He has saved us from the wrath due us for our sin. By expending that wrath, that righteous anger on Jesus, our substitute, thereby granting us favor, granting us comfort. So as we move to the table, remember righteous anger, our substitute, comfort, and praise. Father, we bow before you, recognizing that you are our salvation. You have provided Christ. Our sin is great and we have offended and we deserve your righteous anger. But Father, you in your grace and mercy, you have provided Christ and he has borne the righteous anger do us for our sin. And so we praise you and we thank you for what you have provided for us in Christ. And I ask now that you would, you would remind your people through these elements what you have accomplished for us in Christ. Build us up in the gospel. Remind us again of your grace and your mercy. And may we be men and women that live our lives for your glory and your glory alone. We pray these things in the name of our glorious substitute, Jesus Christ. Amen.